Welcome, all you creatures of the night and late night prowlers. This is the latest podcast episode in gore and guts, slasher screams and squeals, and all the things which conjure up your nightmare. To be afraid is accepted, but it won't save you from the dangers which leer right over your shoulder and breathe down your neck. When the lights are out and the night is still, the beating of your heart will give away your hiding place. It will find you, and it will not be forgiving. This is It Records. Welcome back, all you creatures of the night. Uh, Thank you once again for joining us here on the It Records podcast. It is I coming over the airwaves tonight, today, whenever you're listening. It's me, Matt Johnson, emerging from the shadows. Thank you, one and all. Joined with, by always, you know, is Peter Hansen and Lindsay Clark. Insert um, studio audience sound effects. You should have them booing instead. (laughs) I could. I think that would be a nice magic of post. You know, you'll never know until the episode comes out now. What's going to (laughs) happen? So, yeah. Um, before you know, we launch into whatever movie we watch this week. Uh, I'm gonna throw it over to you guys. Whoever wants to take it first, just kind of what you've been watching, horror or otherwise. What's been new on the tube, as the kids are saying? I'm watching two very nerdy things right now. Um, I'm slogging through Doctor Who. Still, I've slowed down a lot. I think the I think it's getting. <laughs> worse in quality in my opinion i still like it but like i don't like it as much as i used to i'm at the mm-hmm. end of peter capaldi if uh, if you're familiar and then i started watching um naruto <laughs> the anime <laughs> because why not <laughs> i have a lot of time on my hands and there's 600 episodes to watch so <laughs> i got i got oh, oh yeah you're gonna be yeah That'll take some time. Um, as for me, the uh, the Bachelor franchise, as you may or may not know, has uh, started releasing um, these recaps of their greatest seasons um, ever. Um, I'm not really sure how that's decided, but anyway, like I'm I'm here to watch them. Um, so they like release these recaps that are like three hours long um, for each season. And uh, I've been very invested in that. So that's what's been going on. Okay. Bachelor recaps. What about you? Um, Well, did you know that one of the bachelors, I don't know what season, but was an ISU grad, I guess? (gasps) I was going to act like I knew, but I don't. It's Colton Underwood. He he played in the football team, too. Oh! Yeah. It would be okay. Yeah. Never watched an episode of The Bachelor, but I know that because I he grew up in the town nearby me, and then he went to ISU as well. Wow, that's the only thing I know. Yeah, is he he's our age. Wow. Yeah, no, I yeah, he is. He's our age. I, he he was in the same grade as me. He was like at the neighboring high school, so he's the same age, or at least you know within. Yeah, he's twenty. A couple he's months. twenty-eight. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. I didn't know that. That's kind of yeah. cool. Little fun facts outside of the horror genre. I'll tell you some bachelor. Hey, we talked Jersey Shore. We could talk Bachelor. That's right. Mm-hmm. The sky is the limit. Nine oh one two oh action. Weren't, weren't you? Was that where you were watching? Or were you watching? That's. Yeah, I, I can watching. remember if it was that or Dawson's yeah, Creek. Okay. I remember someone <laughs> mentioned Dawson's Creek at some point. Was that you, Matt? I think They're I mentioned very... it because Lindsay said she was watching okay. 90210. And and it just yeah. like maybe think of it or something or like the way she got into got into Dawson's That's Creek funny. or how I watched it. Well, Dawson's Creek would not exist without I think that's what it was. So it makes sense that you, you might have made that. that comment and then I said <laughs> I watched I didn't Creek. watch either. <laughs> what else have you been watching, Matt? Well, I think since the last time we spoke, I said I finished Community, which I was trying to watch all of. You got through that fast. I finished that up. You got through that fast. Yeah. I mean, we, we kind of binge-watched several episodes. Uh, we'd sit down and watch, you know, like three or fourth time, I feel like, at least. Um, but I love that show. again. And uh, I watched Space Force the first time, which is, I know, it's only one season. 
but I watched the first is season of that good? with Steve Crow. It's pretty okay. good. Um, it doesn't interest. It doesn't uh, interest me, which is why I asked because I, I saw coming attractions. I was like, oh, that looks bad. Yeah, like it has <laughs> its moments, um, but I think like it got uh, marketed because it's, it's Steve Carell. It's by the same guy who did The Office, and I think a lot of people were maybe had high hopes mm-hmm. for it. And it's definitely not to that caliber, um, for sure. But it it's entertaining. I th- I. I'd recommend it, but I, I didn't love it. I'll say I didn't like love Space Force. I wasn't enamored with it. I have a sorry. A no, finish your thought. Oh, that, that was it. It was just it, it's a show, but I it was wasn't anything memorable. I, I have a recommendation. So, Unsolved Mysteries is back on Netflix. They uh, brought it back. Uh, I watched all six episodes that Netflix put out. It's great. It's horror-ish, I guess you could say, because it's. Uh, terrifying it's great you should watch it it's it's so good yeah oh that sounds great yeah my sisters literally brought that up on sunday to me um that's on netflix and they were super excited about it as well they're into like the true crime oh, yeah. stuff they brought it up i completely agree yeah. yeah unsolved mysteries is on netflix i mean that's just a staple of american programming right there <laughs> yeah Well, that's what we've been watching. Um, So now you know. Check it out, all of them, if you have the time. Clearly, we do. Um, That's what we do. Um, But this week on the podcast, um, I'll tell you the movie we watched. Uh, Spoilers, I'll tell you what we watched. We watched the 1991 psychological horror film, Silence of the Lambs, uh, directed by Jonathan Demme, based on the book uh, in 1988. I believe it came out by Thomas Harris, so it's based off his novel, Silence of the Lambs. You spook easily, Starling? Not yet, sir. He's past the others. The last cell. I'll be watching. You'll do fine. A killer is on the loose. Keeps them alive for three days. Then he shoots them, skins them, and dumps them. A rookie FBI agent is on his trail. He's got real physical strength, cautious, precise, and he's never impulsive. He'll never stop. But in order to track him down, she'll have to match wits. I'll help you catch him, Clary. Believe me, you don't want Hannibal Lecter inside your head. With the darkest of all minds. Just do your job and never forget what he is. Oh, he's a monster. Pure psychopath. So rare to capture one alive. So close to the way you're gonna catch him, do you realize that? Oh, Clarice, your problem is you need to get more fun out of life. You told me you don't spook easily. You call this easy, sir? Lecter's missing hand arm. Man's a raving maniac. Who knows what he'll do? Thank you, Clary. Thank you. And as I mentioned, this is a psychological horror film. And I thought I would just kind of basically idea we talked here on the podcast about doing several movies um, coming up. We're going to be picking movies that fall into that that genre, if you will, like or, or I guess horror thrillers, um, psychological horror thrillers. And they kind of teeter on if they're horror, if not. And we really want to kind of look at a few of those movies and see you know, what elements make them horror? Do they tilt more thriller um, or more horror and kind of really dive into the subgenre of these movies? So this is the first one of two more. <laughs> <laughs> I believe I picked this one, right? I, I picked Silence of the Lambs. Okay. Yeah. yeah so this is was my pick for that little subgenre. And in case you wanted a, a little 
a lecture, a little education here. I have the definition um, over here for just psychological <laughs> horror. It's a, it's a subgenre, as I talked about, or psychological fiction, uh, which focuses particularly on the mental, emotional, and psychological states of the characters to frighten, disturb, or unsettle the audience. It frequently overlaps with related subgenres, like the psychological thriller, which we are trying to do in this little, uh, I guess, mini series we're doing of psychological thrillers or horror. Um, typically, they're mystery elements. Characters are unstable, unreliable or have disturbed psychological states to enhance suspense, drama, and action of the setting and plot or to provide an overall unpleasant, unsettling, or distressing atmosphere. End of lecture. I think this... Class dismissed. <laughs> I think, uh, yeah, that describes this movie in spades. Yeah. Um, I thought I'd ask, is this anybody's first time seeing Silent of the Lambs, or have we seen it prior to this viewing? Sure, it wouldn't surprise you guys um, that I actually haven't seen We're this seeing, movie okay. before. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. Um, so I guess we'll get your opinion on it during Defender Destroy, but I'll also ask, are several, I guess, sequels and prequels yes. to this? Ha have you seen any of those before this one, or just not any in this series, in this not universe? Not at all. Okay. Mm -hmm. You've been out of the Hannibal no. Lecter universe. Only... I've seen the TV show Hannibal, nope. if you want to count that. Um, yeah, definitely. And then I've seen Manhunter. Is it the Michael Mann movie? Oh yeah, that's that's that's, a, that's the same book. It's before Silence of the Lambs. I think the book is based. I, mm -hmm. I don't know what that book is called. Maybe Manhunter. I don't know. But that okay, that one yeah. I really like. But I've not seen. And then I believe Red Dragon or. The other one, the prequel. That's that's well. The prequel's Red Dragon. Oh, it is. Okay, what's the other one? Just Hannibal. Oh, it's called Hannibal. Okay. Yeah. So, like the movies went, this one, Silence of the Lambs. Then you got Hannibal, which is like a sequel, and then the prequel of Red Dragon. And I don't is Anthony Hopkins in Red Dragon? I don't think so. That's Edward Norton, correct? I thought Edward Norton was with him in one of the movies and then they casted someone else as Lecter for the prequel I thought because I thought like someone they wanted Jodie Foster okay. again for the sequel but they couldn't get her and then I think she got replaced by Edward Norton yes I thought e correct Edward Red Dragon does star Anthony Hopkins that one's on me but Edward Norton is the ex-FBI agent in Red Dragon does he play the guy that put him away What's his I name? It's like Henry or something, like Will Henry, William, the, something like that. The character Edward Norton yeah. plays. Yeah. Um, he plays Will Will Graham. Will Graham. Yep, that's who he puts away. Yeah. 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 That came out in, in two thousand two, and oh. it, it's it's also based on a novel by Thomas Harris as well. Yeah. I think they're all. I believe based on novels in his series. Yeah, I think. I want to see what Manhunter is based off of because the person who plays that's crazy. Um, um, what's his name? Hannibal Lecter's also good in that, and he's actually one of the guy. He's like a sub character. He's in Manhunter and Silence of the Lambs as like. As a as a side like a background character, it's mm -hmm. like the really nerdy guy that has like a crush on Jodie Foster. Oh, is it? That's wait. That's the guy who plays Hannibal Lecter. He, no, no, he's okay, just yeah. in both movies. Sorry, oh, he's okay. just in both movies. Yeah. Um, as like Brian a background Cox, character. Gotcha. Brian Cox is the guy who plays Hannibal Lecter in Manhunter. Manhunter. Yeah, exactly. he does yeah, he's good. good. He does a really good job. That one. He just plays sort of a, I guess, a different performance, if you will. Okay, uh, Manhunter is based off of Red Dragon. That's interesting. Okay, so then they remade, I guess, Red Dragon. Um, but it's interesting that this one came out in '91, and we can get get into, I guess, the acclaim later once we kind of go into the plot and everything. But um, this one was '91, and then 2001 was Hannibal a decade later 
yeah. the sequel came out and Red Dragon came out a year after that. Um, so it just seemed like a while until the series took off. Because then the show, I feel like, came out in the mid-2000s. Mm-hmm. But from this movie, it was all a decade. And the show's very good, too. I like it a lot. I would recommend it. The two leads are good, especially Mads Mikkelsen, who plays uh, um, Hannibal, is very good. Mm-hmm. He's, he's a good actor in general, and like a lot of his his other movies as well, I think. I agree. Well, you've heard us talk about, I guess, really the setup that we've... Silence of the Lambs, it has a whole series behind it. And I'm sure most of you have heard of it in some capacity or another. So I'll kind of launch into act one and give you a little bit of a detail into how the movie starts. But first, the general synopsis is a young FBI cadet. She must receive the help of an incarcerated and manipulative cannibal killer to help catch another serial killer, a madman who skins his victims. So that's your synopsis. And we start with this exterior shot of um, a female FBI cadet kind of running through this fog in the forest. It looks like kind of an obstacle course like that they would use for training. Um, and I thought this was a really good establishing shot for the film. Uh, just because they have that ominous music underneath. And it kind of it, it sets the stage without you know having a, a gruesome sort of killing at the beginning or anything like that you might see in a typical horror movie. Uh, but it kind of focuses on our protagonist, which is going to be the the police officer in the situation. And she's kind of on the run. Um, she's in the fog, um, both literally here and, you know, what will be figuratively trying to find this killer. She's kind of lost um, as she tries to unravel this mystery. Uh, but I also thought it was interesting. I think they set up right from the beginning that she is an outsider within this organization because as she's running, it's like she's by herself. And then there's like a group of like 10 guys that pass her that are together in a clique. And then she goes in and it's just her walking. And it's a bunch of male officers around her. Um, basically, I felt like to make it seem like it's a man's profession or whatever. But, and she's kind of she's not a part of it. Like she is, but she, there's, it's not an inclusive environment for her. Um, so maybe later on this will pan out. To, to her advantage later on. That's, I thought was a, a pretty good visual setup of her coming through the training course. And then she goes into the office where she meets her commanding officer. And he essentially gives her a assignment, which is to go speak to this known killer named Hannibal Lecter, who is imprisoned and he's in a high facility prison to some extent, looks like at a, I thought like at a university somewhere where they're doing studies on him. They would like her, which is Clarice, uh, played by Jodie Foster, is our lead character here, to basically figure out if she can gain any information from Hannibal Lecter. At first, it seemed like a psychology test to kind of see if she can probe his brain. But as she quickly picks up, because she's a smart character, there's this other serial killer on the loose known as Buffalo Bill. Um, and she quickly figures out, figures out that she's going there because she's supposed to find out who that killer is through discussions with Hannibal Lecter. So she goes to this prison. She meets Hannibal Lecter in this basement facility where he's got a glass cage uh, entombing him. And he's just standing in the middle of the room when she enters. And they have their first exchange, which will be of many. And she learns a tidbit of information about potentially who the killer is, I believe at this case by Hannibal Lecter giving her some like anagram. And I forget what the actual phrase was. I didn't write it down, but it gives her a phrase and yeah. Was it a uh, Lewis friend? I, I think that, that might've been the first one. Um, I thought that was later. I thought that was later. Okay. Yeah, Lewis, I... Lewis friends, the second one. Okay. You're um, right. But I'm jumping he says something that's that basically she figures out is like he's it's where he feels at home or something. And she figures out that's the name of this storage place. Mm, um, yeah, it was like a. I know exactly what you're talking about. I can't remember the name she get. It was another name that a storage locker was in the name of. 
and it was like an anagram of what their actual name was and then like sorry you could this is still i feel like this is still your section (laughs) no no totally but that that's basically what it was it was an anagram of a name um that was there this locker storage facility that she went to and she go she gets in and she finds a severed head inside of this car um so clearly it was either hannibal but or she knew or hannibal now knows who the essentially or, or or might know he had an inkling based on he was a psychiatrist i, I guess i haven't said that that's was hannibal's profession before he was a cannibal and convicted killer and he believes that the buffalo bill character who is out there they're searching for was potentially a previous client of his that he knew and that's where he sends clarice to this spot and basically says yes this is the guy but he can't remember his name apparently could remember also the fact that you make like a psychiatrist is like as the bad guy is actually kind of like genius i feel like it's like i feel like something we don't really talk about because like <clears throat> hannibal Lecter's so ingrained in like horror he's like so because he's so composed and he's so like well-mannered that like you have like you have people that root for him because like you know because he most likely like it seems like he's gonna win in the end because he's so fucking smart um so he's like not the diabolical supervillain sort of yeah that, that you have people cheering on for and then mm-hmm. like he's also yeah. just so, so creepy and then like and it's such a well-acted performance and it's like so short of a performance too because it's like mm-hmm. i'm sorry not a jump into gun again but i know he's like in the movie for like 20 fucking minutes which is like crazy to think about because you feel like he's there the whole time mm-hmm. yeah oh 100 in my portions almost over but to pete's point i think anthony hopkins did do a great job but something they did well throughout the film that makes you feel maybe that you he is more of a presence or you know his motivations and he could he could win by the end is that like every scene um has a basically a three-act structure for both characters clarice and hannibal it's basically um they want to know something both of them he like the quid pro quo that's his whole thing quid pro quo and you give me something i give you something it's like a back and forth they're both giving information but it's it's a story to get there they have the rising action and then she tells him mm-hmm. her and then he's like oh he, he gives her the anagram sort of a thing so there's always like he wants something and she wants something. So she gives him a little bit of information and he'll give it to her. Basically, I think what he, he's going to get that island or whatever. He's going to get eventually that island where for a week, a week a year, he gets to basically walk free. And that's essentially his his motivation. It's like, bar- like bargaining chipped. Like, mm-hmm. like they're like, oh, like we'll give you this if you give us information about Buffalo Bill. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that was also well done cinematography to the extent is a lot of these shots are, I guess, close-ups, like close close-ups and the person talking is looking directly in the camera and it kind of flips back and forth like to Hannibal, to Clarice or to Hannah or to Clarice and her commanding officer where it almost puts the audience in the shoes of the person they're talking to every time. So you're having to like almost contemplate that they're talking to you. What would you how would you react or what what would be your thought process and then the other person talks and it allows you in that i guess viewing a different perspective on watching it compared to if you said like two shots or them in the same or back and forth over the shoulder shots it makes hannibal anthony look more hopkins, medicine as well anthony hopkins eyes are just so creepy <laughs> too much that man knows how to be really creepy <laughs> yeah, I'd say he nailed it. I mean, he got he got an Oscar for it, so well deserved. <laughs> Act one basically ends kind of there when the senator's daughter gets finally kidnapped by Buffalo yeah. Bill. We see in one of the next scenes, the senator's daughter is you know Buffalo Bill has this kind of scheme, kidnaps her in the back of his van, takes her takes her to his house. And 
end of Act One. Clarice is on the case. Yeah, and I feel I'm trying to remember how exactly it goes down from there, but I I remember that um, the doctor that like that's in charge of Hannibal Lecter, he's like. He has, like, an agenda of its own. You're not really totally aware of what it is, but, like, he pretty much exposes um, that, like, his deal was phony. I'm pretty sure that comes, like, pretty close. Right there, yeah. Okay, I couldn't remember how exactly it went down. And you could tell that he's pissed. And... um, I'm trying... I know I'm forgetting a few things, because, like... I think it's just like some shots of like, like Buffalo Bill and the senator. You could see that she's in a well, and you could see like she, someone tried clawing out. I can't remember when they found the body. Do you remember when was that later? When they when she, when uh, Clarice does like an autopsy. Was that around this point? Or was that a little later? I think that's one of the most the next scenes were after the. The professor or whoever the researcher basically figures out the phony deal and says that he's basically gonna it's not real but he's gonna make one himself and move Hannibal and talk to the center and the next one is them going that they found a body in the lake and they go to the funeral home and she performs the autopsy yeah it's like the next scene yeah yeah and then like <laughs> okay they find like like a moths like you don't find out it's a moth but like it's like a larva in this in the in the victim's throat it's like really fucking bizarre shit that mm. solely is revealed about buffalo bill like he has like moss all over the goddamn place in his house for and then you see, and you come to realize later that he has like an obsession with like transforming himself like i feel like that maybe comes later into Lindsay's section i think of like why he does it um but then like what's the next scene i remember like the big i feel like the big scene i feel like it's more of like probably the midpoint of the movie um there's like uh it's like a very long scene it's like almost like a like a two-hander like there's just like two very important things happen where like Hannibal Lecter and Clarice have another conversation and then like Hannibal is just like grilling her about like tell me about your past kind of thing and she talked about like why she ran away and like she ran away because like she heard like the lambs screaming and just like the story is just like so well told and then like he's just like pretty much like almost like he's given her like a therapy session like in a very like aggressive way but she's like able to like help it help herself mm-hmm. um to you know do the things she i need to do to solve the case um and then uh like hannibal's about to be transferred and then you see his plan into action of like how he escapes he just totally like fools all the cops like he just like breaks open his cuffs like with a pen that he stole from the doctor um and then like beats one cop to death with a baton and then bites the other cop's face and then you see like probably this is like literally my favorite scene in the movie honestly um where like uh he like you don't know what's happening you see like the elevator moving and then the cop's like oh fuck like Hannibal's out and like we need to do like a search and they go up to his room and they see like one of the cops that's just like the intestines are ripped out and he's kind of this he's like displayed like in a weird way M- maybe like a moth like maybe because like I think he, he kind of told uh, Clarice that he's like I can't remember if his conversation came but I thought it reminded me of, like a moth a little bit um and then like they try to hunting him down and then i think he's in the elevator when they're bringing down the cop who's like all mangled and they, they're like he was like oh he's still breathing 
and then like you slowly come to realize that like the guy in the elevator is not Hannibal Lecter and it's just like his face is ripped off and then like the cop is actually Hannibal just with the guy's face and he fucking kills two people in the ambulance like best escape for <laughs> in most movies it's great I love that scene it's so good yeah, that's when things start to get, like, really, really weird. Yeah, things things definitely heat up at that point. I can't remember really where, what happens. I feel like I jumped a little bit, but I feel like those were, like, the biggest things that I pulled away. And I feel like maybe one more thing happens before Lindsay's section, but I can't remember if I'm missing anything. Maybe... I wouldn't know either. I think, like, one of the only... I mean, those are pretty big points i mean that you know hannibal was moved he escaped uh we find out why it's silence of the lambs that's she hated the sound of the lambs being slaughtered so she ran away from home because it it hurt her so much so she wants to silence the lambs and make them make sure everybody's taken care of why she became a cop that's a big point but also i think uh in this time frame he told I mean, Hannibal told Clarice that Bill, Buffalo Bill came to him and uh, because he had thoughts about he thought he might be a transsexual or he was confused about his sexual orientation. And so he gave Clarice the hint that uh, check the names, the these three uh, medical centers that um, would perform transsexual operations. And you might, he's, his name's probably on the waiting list somewhere. And that was a pretty big clue that you gave out to him. And you kind of would see that scene with Buffalo Bill in the basement and the famous put the lotion in the basket. That's, uh, yeah. Um, yeah. And, um, before I jump in, Lecter also says to her, we're now regarding, um, her, uh, the time, you know, with the lambs, um, you know, she got nightmares subsequently um, for years. Um, so the senator's daughter, the one that's been, um, you know, abducted, um, he believes that she thinks that if she saves the daughter, her name's Catherine, um, that these nightmares will finally end for her. So that's part of like why it's so important for her, um, you know, to, to do this. And um, you know, Startling's a smart cookie. Um, she starts really um, kind of figuring out that Buffalo Bill um, is a is a tailor, if you, if you want to call it that. Uh, yeah. And he he did know the first victim um, of his. It becomes evident that the clothes that he makes um, or dresses, I guess, um, this this paint like this hurts my teeth to say this because it's so disgusting. Um, they're the same as the skin that he takes off of every one of his victims. Um, and there's no better way to say it than Wikipedia put it. So I'm quoting them <laughs> when I say um, that Starling realizes that Buffalo Bill is trying to form a woman's suit out of real skin and uh, tells Crawford this. Um, that's her, Crawford is her, uh, is Starling's boss, is that right? Okay. Yeah, he's the FBI director. Okay. And, um, you know, Crawford's already working on arresting Buffalo Bill, obviously. Um, he checked on everything that Lecter said and found somebody by the name of Jane Gum, um, who, as Matt pointed out, um, who had once tried to get a sex change operation um, at one of those centers, I guess, um, as he, you know, believed he was a transsexual. Um, so Crawford and the FBI team tracked down Gum's house in Illinois, uh, but it's deserted. Um, meanwhile, they're doing that. Starling ends up at a Jack Borden's house and quickly realizes that it's actually Jane. Um, and what tips her off is the dead moth head that she sees in there. Um, so things get ugly pretty fast. Um, when she realizes that she's like staring him in the face, um, he gets away for the moment and this kind of chase within the house um, and Starling goes down to the basement and that's where she finds Catherine who's being kept in a dry well um, and um, so Starling finally gets Jane um, 
at some point because he cocks his revolver, but she has like these super quick reflexes and shoots him and kills him. Um, so yeah, that happens. She gets him and, um, it's pretty suspenseful, I would say, um, leading up till this. But anyway, later on, she graduates from the FBI Academy. Um, but of course that's not where things end. Um, Electra actually gives her a call from the Bahamas and tells her not to worry. He'll never go after her. Um, but of course, you know, uh, in return, he needs a favor. And, um, you know, that is to, to not out him, you know, to the FBI. And she's like, you know, you know, I can't do that. And he's like, well, you know, I gotta go. I'm meeting an old friend for dinner and hangs up. Uh, <laughs> And then the last thing that we see is the scene closes out as him starting to follow um, Chilton, I believe it is, after hanging up the phone, who just arrived in the Bahamas. Didn't, did he say in that final scene where he's in the Bahamas, I'm having an old friend for dinner? Yes. Okay. Because like, yeah. it sounds like when he says like, I'm uh, like meeting an old friend for dinner, or like you, that's what your brain thinks. But like, okay, like, you know, I'm having an old or like I'm having them over, but like he's gonna eat them. Like that's exactly <laughs> that that's is good, like right? the keyword here. <laughs> good, good word. It's good wordplay. <laughs> yeah, I like it. Uh, he's a genius. That's Silence of the Lambs, but I, I also wanted to, I guess, make a point because um, uh, Lindsay jogged my memory in that final scene. One of the final scenes. It's and it's where uh, Clarice is. She's actually correct. Um, she's following the correct clues, and the FBI director is at the wrong house. Um, just like for most of the movies, she's kind of on the right case, but no one's really listening to her, her insight. They're doing their own thing. I thought it was really good match on action cutting or editing in that scene where she's just walking up to a house. And also we see Buffalo Bill downstairs with the Senator's daughter and she's being really loud. She's got the dog and he's freaking out. And we see the SWAT team basically setting up in front of another house yeah, and the door they ring the doorbell. The cops do, and then you see Buffalo Bill's doorbell ring. And I thought that was a really good, like, that was an intense, suspenseful scene. And good on good editing. And then when he opens the door, it's just Clarice, like she rang the doorbell. It's not the cops there mm-hmm. at all. Um, and I just thought that was a really good. You're getting kind of ready for like this big blowout with the cops busting in, but it was a misdirect. Really well done. Yeah, I love that scene too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that just helps to build the suspense in those final scenes. Yeah, it made me feel worried for like, like Clarice at that point, because like you knew everybody else was somewhere else, like they were actively engaged somewhere, and she was all yeah. alone, and she was right, She's and she was own. with the person, like she was with Buffalo Bill. <laughs> I feel like it's very interesting because I feel like big budget horror movies at this time didn't really have like good cinematography um like and this one really does like i feel like honestly like the last one to have this good of cinematography especially to get like noticed for it is like the exorcist and like i can't really think of like other movies in between it like like you have like those giallo films that are well shot too but like they don't get noticed in that regard like those two movies did because they're like i think probably considered to be less of value and i was just like kind of interesting to see like how many years it took for like a horror movie to be nominated for an oscar like it was like the exorcist and then like then silence of the lambs that's yeah that's a like maybe maybe another one thrown in there between them i might be i i had this list i gotta look it up but i think there is one i think total there has been, like loosely whatever you're considering horror, like like this one, six total. There's this one. Um, you mentioned The Exorcist. Get Out was after this. Yeah. Um, I think I I have one other in my I head. Think the others I think was nominated. Um, wasn't, wasn't potentially the nominated for one. Um, let me see here. It's not a lot. No. Shoot, sorry. There we go. Um, oh no, okay. So no, the others at least it's not best picture, but uh, I think it's five maybe. Uh, Exorcist, you mentioned Silence of the Lambs, Get Out, 
Um, Jaws, if you consider that a horror monster movie, it was 76. Um, then Silence of the Lambs, yeah. chronologically. Exorcist, 76 was Jaws, and almost 20 years later, Silence of the Lambs. And then um, Sixth Sense was in 2000. Mm. Okay. And Black Swan, if you can say that. that psychological horror or not, that was 2011. And then Get Out. So it really, it's quite a feat. Yes. To get to that point. 100%. I mean, there's only six in the what history of film ever to be nominated. So if, if you expand well. it to all genres of the, it's only nine. If you like, uh, it's like best oh, okay. all, categories. all the other categories. It's, yeah, I think, I, I'm I think the Wolfman is that on there uh, anywhere for like makeup or hair or something? Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde. This is saying which is super mm-hmm. early. Rosemary's Baby. Um, The Exorcist. Jaws, like you said. Oh, Misery, yeah. Misery. Ooh, probably, uh, misery is one of my probably a so. probably a script, I would assume. Yeah, something like that. Six Sense already knew. Black Swan. Mm-hmm. And then get out. That's the final one. That's that's yeah. so few. I didn't realize that. I mean, I didn't think that horror movies were really the darling of the Oscars, but I, think I didn't it realize get... it was so few. I mean, I feel like one they try to go for. You know, what's cinematically the best? They have their you know, pretty prestigious awards, and also they try to to get in the popular ones somewhat. And I feel like. I mean, that's why Jaws was nominated. Um, and horror horror might not... I feel like this, the film critics don't give it uh, its fair shake. Um, so, so like the people who are going don't. off of criti- what is going to yeah. be the Oscar, they kind of see it as a sub, sub-genre compared to like a drama. It's because like, I feel like horror is weirdly the least pretentious genre. Um... Like, you could obviously be pretentious with horror, but, like, I feel like horror itself is so popular. Like, it's, like, a populist genre. They, like, just want to give people, like, what they want. They just, like, people want blood, guts, misery. They just, like, they're just trying to feed into, like, people want to be entertained and scared. And then they just give that as much raw emotion as they can. Or it's... it's easier i forget the way you just worded it but like it's harder to be harder to be pretentious i think because that's what you said because the main driving plot point or the biggest theme most times is like fear or like it's a primal repression of something um it's meant to look at some fear you have or something you don't think about or like the damnation of your soul or your body and then you can like weave in other elements and make it a story and put other stuff, but like at the central core, that's a horror movie. And like a drama could be whatever. Like you can make it about whatever issue you want and you can make it really mm. pretentious. Yeah. Well yeah. said. And we mentioned this one. Uh, we can go into, I guess, awards since we were mentioning the Oscars. It won best. Not only was nominated for it, <laughs> but it won the top five, the, or at least one of the big five. Some of the, the, so, best director, actor, actress, movie, and adapted screenplay. Yeah, that's that's crazy. And I would go out on a limb and say Unheard Ted of. Levine could have been nominated or won for Buffalo Bill, which he didn't, and they would have won six. I thought he was really good for supporting oh, for actor. Supporting. Yeah. yeah, he. I don't know. I'm gonna look up mm-hmm. who was against him if if he was even nominated. Yeah. Um, but I agree. Um, he, he should yeah. have won. And, and while, while you're looking it up, Pete, I just wanted to give a kind of insight into Jonathan Demi. If nobody really knows that name as much, he was the director for this film. He's He's been in a lot. I mean, he also did Rachel Giddy in 2008, which was nominated for Oscars, but he did Philadelphia uh, as another one that he did with Tom Hanks uh, back in the day or some of his his bigger ones. Um, I think of some other ones he's done, uh, but I guess those are some of the bigger movies people know him for. And this one, Silence of the Lambs. But he does a lot of music videos. 
he did Neil Young's Heart of Gold, uh, Justin Timberlake, the Tennessee Kids, and then the Talking Heads Stop Making Sense in 1984. So he's been around a lot. Mm. All right. Yeah, he wasn't even like he wasn't that. even nominated um, for best supporting actor. Uh, fucking. Uh, Wait, nineteen ninety one. But he's from nineteen ninety two. I guess this would have been ninety two because this came out in ninety one. Nin- yeah, Jack Pal- Palance for City Slickers as Curly. Oh, Curly. Okay. He wait. They give it to fucking Curly. From City Slickers? I like City of Slickers, course, don't get yeah. me wrong. But you're gonna give it to him over Buffalo Bill? <laughs> and fucking Tommy Lee Jones was on there for, for JFK. You got Harvey Cattell for Bugsy, which I've never seen. You also have Ben Kingsley from Bugsy. And you have Michael Lerner from Bar- Barton Fink, a fucking Coen brother movie. But you couldn't give out... You couldn't eliminate one of those Bugsy nominations for fucking Silence of the Lambs? Well, they, they gave him the awards for five... <laughs> <laughs> I guess I mean I think he deserves it more than fucking Curly yeah, definitely yeah this is the time they only did five five in a category now they do ten yeah five five a piece ten for I guess best picture that's crazy I think they're expanding it for other categories as well I thought I mean who knows what the hell they're doing this year they they're delayed enough already <laughs> So, uh, before we want to move on to trivia, because um, we just did their awards and everything. Um, well, wait, I'm not going to Lindsay might actually have this in trivia. So, we go to trivia. Yeah, yeah, Lindsay might have it in there. Okay. Yeah. If I don't, then feel free, please. Oh, yeah, sorry. <laughs> go ahead. Oh, are we going with trivia? <laughs> trivia? All right. <laughs> All right. So, um... I thought this was pretty interesting. Um, Jodie Foster said that when Sir Anthony Hopkins um, mocked her accent during the scene when their characters meet for the first time, um, it was completely improvised. Um, and Foster was like super mortified and the reaction she has is real. Um, but I guess it turned out to be for the best because later on she thanked him for being able to get such a genuine reaction from her. Um, but I could see like when you don't see that coming, like. You know, it feels personal. You're just like, whoa, what the hell? Um, but yeah, so. Um, and then, so this movie um, was inspired by, uh, I guess, Ted Bundy and a criminology professor, uh, Robert Keppel. Um, they apparently had this real-life friendship. Um, and Bundy was involved in helping Keppel investigate the Green River serial killings in Washington State. Which I didn't know. Do you guys know that? No, I have no idea. Yeah, so um, so that's that. And then uh, apparently Sir Anthony Hopkins was about to give up on Hollywood if this movie um, didn't help him to break out. Um, he'd been acting since the 1960s, but he had never achieved the success he had been aiming for. Um, with film, and so if The Silence of the Lambs failed, he had said that he would have just, like, totally left Hollywood, um, and just focus on uh, the British stage. Uh, obviously, as we all know, that didn't have to happen, uh, since the movie was super successful in, like, every way possible, and suddenly everybody knew his name, um, and then he was nominated and won for the first time an actor, or an Oscar for Best Actor. You got anything else, Matt? excuse me. Um, yeah, I, I guess the one thing I was going to bring up, it, it's, it's not really the movie per se, but we had just said that it won like the big five, uh, meaning like the best picture actor, actress, screenplay, director, it won sort of the bigger ones, um, and swept it. There's only been two other movies that have done that. And I was curious if you guys knew either one. Not at all. I'm assuming Titanic. No. That would make Mm-mm. sense. Okay. Uh, no. it was, that was a shot in the dark because I won. Right. So did Return of, of the King. but Avatar? No. I guess they're probably more focused on the special effect ones, I guess you could say. Um, God. Best actor? Picture? I'm going to give one more try. It's not Titanic. 
Uh, no, I lost it. I don't know. I have no idea. 1934's It Happened One Night with Clark Clark Gable. Oh, God. Definitely wouldn't know. And then 1975. Yeah. You know it won in 1975? Is it fucking French Connection? No, I think that was 74, actually. Um, but uh, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's next. Oh. Ah. Uh, all right. Because that's what I want to best adapted screenplay as well, because that's a book. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Only three times. That's crazy. The big category. Yeah. Someone doesn't win, like, one of them. If you just don't win one of them, you're. Yeah. You're out. However, if you have did. a movie that's like two men as the lead, you're not going to win best actress. Like, you just can't. You didn't write in a it's... strong female character. That's true. Yeah. I always get it happened one night confused with another one of those type, uh, you know, yeah, screwball yeah. road trip <laughs> movies. There's like another one that's exactly like it, and I can't remember what it's called. But I always get those two movies confused. <laughs> yeah. I think it's like Cary Grant or some shit like that. I don't know. Some, some actor my mom likes. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to bring up a few things I saw. Um, I thought were interesting, at least, in, in some production things. Um, first being Michelle Pfeiffer was the first choice for Clarice to play yeah, really? Major Sterling. That's such an 80s pick. Followed by... <laughs> so the fourth choice, as far as I know, was Jodie Foster. The second choice was Nicole Kidman. Who would have been really good? Like, Nicole Kidman's a very good... Like, not taken away from Jodie Foster, but Nicole Kidman's a very good actress. She would have been good as well. And followed by Halle Berry. Would have been... Ada Sterling. I would not expected that. That's what... I think Michelle Pfeiffer, I, I believe, was, like, kind of attached to it for a while because I think she had a relationship with Jonathan Demme or they did a movie in the past who's the director, but she opted out for a different movie that came out around this time. Also, then Anthony Hopkins wasn't number the, wasn't the first choice. The first choice for this one was Sean Connery. What is what <laughs> they wanted for? With his fucking accent, oh my god! Yeah, he turned it down. I would have loved to see that, but I'm glad it worked out. You the way. Yeah, for the better. Was it Red Hunt for October, where he's supposed to be a Russian? And he's just yeah. talking with a... He's Scottish, right? Yeah, I believe he's Scottish, he's talking yeah. with a heavy Scottish accent the whole... I think he tries for the first 10 minutes to have, like, a Russian accent, and he's like, fuck it, I'm not doing yeah, it Yeah, he's gonna lose it, yeah. <laughs> Why not? Forget continuity it's, it's issues. It's really funny. Yeah. Um, speaking of continuity, uh, one thing that... It's not a continuity error, but I thought it was interesting when they're in that scene that Pete, you like, uh, where, you know, he, he, Hannibal breaks out and everything. Um, from the, the jail he's in in the middle of that room they enhanced those bars i don't know if, i mean you probably don't tell it in real time but like he could probably squeeze through those bars really if he wanted to like how far apart they were um but they had to do that so that they could shoot those shots where like it's panning around and clarice is walking so they could see anthony hopkins face so they they just enhanced the bars yeah i never thought about that that's really funny yeah and then there's a cameo from Ted Talley, the screenwriter. He's on the SWAT team. And George Romero makes a cameo in this movie. George Romero makes a cameo? Yeah. Um, he's one of the guys. He's one of, supposed to be one of the FBI agents that drags Clarice out of that room um, that we were talking about where uh, Hannibal's in the big cage or the jail cell. Um, one of the guys is dragging her away because um, she's not supposed to be there. Is George Romero. Oh, man. I must have just, like, not picked up I, on what he looked like. Wow. Well, you don't really see him that much. Like, he's not, like, he's just, I mean, he just comes in for, like, five seconds. And is one of the guys grabbing her. Wow. Yeah. So, I guess that's it. We ran a little little long on Silence of the Lambs. We can go into Defender Destroy if we'd like, unless you guys have anything you'd like to add. Uh, no. That's... Uh, yeah, you guys. It's like it go on for a while. Um, the lambs, I feel like. <laughs> Long time. <laughs> well, it was your pick, so uh, we'll give you the uh, yeah, stage first. That's right. 
I will. That's what you thought. Go first for Silence of the Lambs. It probably had been, I've seen it before, but it's probably been like five years at least since I watched it again. But I'll just start off with saying I defend it. Um, I think it still holds up. Um, when I watched it, I was kind of weary since it was like 91. If, you know, some things would seem like uh, faulty or they wouldn't make sense anymore, it would kind of, you know, debunk the movie or make it feel less suspenseful. But I think it held up pretty well. I really was engaged again by like uh, how well of a film it is, you know, even though it's like psychological horror that um, again, it won best director and best cinematography or best movie for a reason. I think they really did a good job of not only acting, but setting the stage, the whole atmosphere seemed unsettling and disturbing the whole time. It was a good score. Um, and they used editing in the camera well to tell the story. Uh, and different power dynamics amongst the characters um, and really getting into their heads uh, really well without using a lot of dialogue to move exposition. But with that being said, I'll defend it. Lindsay, I want to hear what you have to say since this was your first time viewing. Yeah. All right. Um, And again, I mean, I had to kind of think about it. after I watched it, um, you know, I did like it, but I just, um, there are some things that, you know, were just so creepy that I felt like, you know, weird about it. Um, but yeah, no, good, very good movie, strong cast. Um, I think that Jodie Foster and Sir Anthony Hopkins, like, you know, we're talking about like who else could have, you know, been in their roles, but I really, I think that their dynamic, like it could be beat. Um, and, you know, knowing some of the details behind the scenes, like the improvisation, um, getting the real reactions, help their, make their performances even stronger. Um, and, you know, kind of um, touching on what Matt said, it's very impressive, like how this movie has managed to hold up over time, um, you know, which really speaks to its greatness. So it's a defend for me. You got me worried there for a second. <laughs> <laughs> um, I obviously defended i think i made that pretty obvious of how much i explained how much i like that scene in the middle of the movie um it's got some great sequences i pretty much like it for all the same reasons that matt does and i was a little worried of it aging it does in some dialogue aspects not as bad as i thought it would when they're talking about transsexuals i was worried that it would be much worse it's not as bad as I thought it would be. There was like one uh, instance when they said uh, transvestite, and like that's very, very dated mm. uh, term. Mm-hmm. And um, that's true. But I was surprised when I think Clarice said that transsexuals are usually like nonviolent. Like I was like surprised they like put that in the movie because it feels like something that wouldn't have been said at that time because like this how marginalized that community mm-hmm. is especially back then yeah, mm-hmm. yeah that's like the, the only thing i would knock it down but I like barely knock it down and and to that point there's even a point or uh, there's an exchange between clarice and hannibal in that discussion where she says no they're they're generally nonviolent. but even hannibal said something to the effect of like well he's not a real transsexual or something like like he thinks he is, like he thinks he wants to be a woman. Yeah. But like it gets into the psychology right. of Buffalo, but like he thinks he wants to be a woman, but he's just kind of confused about like who what his real identity is or like what he wants to be. And so he labels it like Buffalo Bill labels himself as a transsexual. But yeah. He's not really sure if that's what he his identity is. And so I thought, yeah, there's definitely they they towed some hot water, I guess, compared to it's been what it's been 30 years almost holy shit yeah (laughs) it's a year then it's a year older than all of us so or i guess not pete technically not pete he's an old man i mean i'll be 29 (laughs) (laughs) yeah so you you're born on the last day of the year that's true so that was a defend right you said yeah definitely it's definitely a defend yeah well, that's a unanimous defend then for Silence of the Lambs, which is the first part of, you know, two other movies we're going to do 
that generally are psychological horror, psychological thriller, and where they fall in the genre. Now, I'd like to bring that up now, and I can cut this in later, like earlier. But I thought at least we should discuss each one of our points of do we think, like, what horror elements we saw, I guess? Or do you think this falls more into thriller or more into horror? Because um, it's kind of in that area. And I can go first if you want. Yeah, I guess it's got both. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I would just say, I think, based on, like, that definition I gave at the beginning of psychological horror, um, it's meant to create mental distress, um, not only for the characters, but also for the viewer. It's to create an ominous and persistent atmosphere that like creates doom and anxiety and paranoia. And I felt for the most part through this, there's a very good job of that. Um, from the ominous president of Hannibal Lecter to Buffalo Bill uh, and, and the way they shot the film. That it was very unsettling throughout and it wasn't really about the thrills and the suspense which i think we got at the very end um i think it was this movie was very much about getting into the mindset of a serial killer um and trying to understand how they work uh, and really yourself and really probing the recesses of your mind and horror is really about that a lot you know looking into the, the repressed thoughts what are your fears um, and bring them forward to to scare you in some capacity so i think you know, it's right in the middle somewhere, but it definitely, if anybody asks, it'd fall in that horror genre, um, psychological horror. I don't think I could say it any better than that, because I absolutely agree with you. There's definitely, I always said that, like, I feel like thriller usually falls under the horror umbrella. There's definitely some exceptions that I feel like we're probably going to come across with one of our picks, that it might teeter, I guess you could see the difference of, like, I get like a political thriller. I feel like is one that comes to mind that definitely would be that's in the thriller genre, but wouldn't be like horror. Like it's just like a different type of suspense. But I don't know how to like explain the difference until probably until I see it. <laughs> yeah, and that'll be a good one once we do it. Um, even if it doesn't fall into the horror genre, to be able to pick out why we don't think it does. And, and what, what it left out, even, that would make it more horror. Yeah. Those were both very uh, <laughs> well, uh, well-established well points. I really don't have anything to add. Um, so, yeah. Agree. All right. So, Silence of the Lambs, at least, then falls, we would agree. I mean, it teeters, as we're saying. That's why we're doing this series. But horror, it does have a lot of horror elements to it. And so, when we say... What horror movies have won Best Picture? It's a, you can say Silence of the Lambs. It's definitely... Yes, we claim it. Yeah. Horror fans claim it because give us give us that one, damn it. Yeah. <laughs> There'll be another one. Someday. Parasite kind of teeters as well. Yeah. And I feel like, and I don't know if they'll ever be nominated, but like the way Ari Aster and Robert Eggers are going... They definitely have that like artsiness to their films that could get them acclaim with some of the critics and enough of an audience appeal that one of theirs could get up there. Like Jordan Peele. Like Jordan Peele was up there not that long ago. Forget out. Yeah. Jordan Peele was right there. Which was yeah. refreshing to see. That was really mm-hmm. bothering, I thought. But I mean with that, uh as a unanimous defend here for the Records Podcast on Silence of the Lambs. Thank you for tuning in. Get at us on Facebook, Twitter, or our website if you're looking for us to do any sort of other mini-series, mini-episodes, or full-length episodes. Um, you can comment, uh, review us on SoundCloud, on iTunes, where you can listen to us. And subscribe if you want to listen to us every day of your life and get your horror gossip from us. But until next time, um, I am Matt Johnson, and I'm in the shadows, having dinner with a friend. Bye.